Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 132. I have two wonderfully talented, incredible architects joining me today. I get so many questions about how to build a home, what materials, how to renovate, and being a long-term urban renter, it does not make me placed very well to be your expert for such things. But this is uh, why I absolutely love, uh, absolutely love being able to call on people like uh, Amelia and Kate uh, when uh, the opportunity arises to share a show like today. So it's a very long show because I've put one subject that everybody who wants to know about building, renovating materials, choosing things like you know, like how to soundproof your levels of your home. Uh, to um, discourage mould but still have the soundproofing. So many different things like that, how to have clean air in the home. Uh, I've put it all on one one double show. So we have uh, Amelia Lee first up and then we lead into my interview with Kate Hamlet. So Amelia and I are personal friends and she is one of the most brilliant minds I've ever met in my life. Uh, her own business, Undercover Architect, her incredible podcast. She's actually done a full series on a more sustainably-minded uh, home uh, on her own show. So please, once you've had a listen to today, you have so much of her wonderful content to dive into afterwards than where she interviews experts all around the world on matters of sustainable home building and renovating. Um, and she is obviously an architect by trade. She has a boutique design agency. She helps homeowners create uh, the homes that really work, that feel great, and that you feel great in. And her passion for this is infectious. Uh, so I, I just know you're going to love what she has to say today. And um, something that I love is she has been everywhere in the architecture industry. She's had two decades of experience in residential architecture. Um, everything from gigantic commercial developments to people building their gorgeous little forever home and everything in between. She has uh, incredible courses, including one specifically for uh, US uh, homeowners or home builders. Uh, and uh, she's paired with a, a renowned architect over in the US for that. I'm going to let you dive into Amelia's awesomeness uh, on your own time, but suffice it to say that uh, I think you'll really enjoy what she has to say and her philosophies about how we how we d develop and design the homes we really, really feel great in. Uh, and then I have the wonderful Kate Hamlet, who's also an architect from the States, and uh, she has intersection pas intersecting passions of designing for sustainability, for wellness, and experiential design. So um, she's really passionate about balance and harmony in the spaces she designs, and balanced architecture takes the approach of finding the right balance between wellness and sustainability without going over the budget or losing sight of the design goals that you have. Uh, so it's, she's wonderful as well. And, and what I love uh, about Kate's work is that she's then gone and deep dived into um, 
into uh, the more kind of scientific ways that we can build very healthy homes. So but the two of them together just provide such a fantastic couple of hours worth of of look-see on this topic. Um, and so if this is your topic, uh, I will not begrudge you for having a cup of tea, going off and doing a few things, maybe even putting a couple of days between uh, both of the interviews that I've uh, jammed together today. But I feel that because this matters to quite a few people in our community, it's a subject I really wanted to cover without it becoming several shows on the podcast. And I, I just know you guys are going to love it. Before I hook into the first interview, which is with Amelia, uh, I just wanted to remind you that you are now running out of time to make the most of this incredibly generous offer from Walida to uh, get a free skin food for orders, Australian orders over $69.95. And, uh, and that is worth $22.95. So it's a significant saving. And if you're a skin food junkie, I mean, the simplest thing of all could be to just get yourself four skin foods and the fifth one free and you are sorted for the year uh, if you don't want to have to try and think about getting to know what else you want in the range but you want to make the most of this offer that's the easiest way to do it or you could try a few different items from the new skin food expanded range so skin food's been around for nearly a century and it has not changed in its formulation in that time uh, and what I love about the new products that they've brought out is they have a body butter now that is a gorgeous texture and has been made for um, vegan peeps to be able to make the most of the skin food uh, philosophy and um, benefits uh, without the lanolin or beeswax elements of it. So that makes it a more inclusive range now, which is amazing. And then you have the ridiculously lanolin-rich lip balm this is perfect for people who struggle with the chapped lips and who often find regular lip balms just sort of perpetuate the use for more lip balm requirements, um, which a lot of lip balms can end up being like that. They end up drying more than they end up moisturizing. Um, and then you have skin, skin food light. So if you live in a hot or a humid climate, you get to make the most of all the goodness of skin food, but with a lighter texture. So it really is an amazing new range. I can see so many people online already raving about them. I've been using them all. I can't actually decide what's my favorite anymore. Um, although it has been pretty humid in Sydney and skin food light is doing wonders for my, for, you know, general body moisturization, but I still love to use the rich, rich skin food on feet, elbows, knees, those sorts of areas of the body. So go and make the most of that. Uh, congrats to everybody who won the packs. They are, the details are on the show notes today for uh, all the winners. And, um, and I want to hook into today's show now because it's a long one. So I don't want to go on for too long. I hope you enjoy today's interviews. Hey, Amelia, how are you? I'm well, Alex. It's fantastic to be chatting to you this morning. It is so great. And, uh, I, as I said in the intro, we're really close friends and it's just wonderful when you have super smart close friends that you can say, you know what, people keep asking me about buildings and renos and doing it low tox and I know just the person. So I think today's chat's going to be super helpful to so many people. Um, 
I want to start though by just sharing with people a little bit of why you started doing, uh, started moving into architecture, why you then felt the need to go it alone and help lots of people with the amazing online courses you do, um, and how you see architecture changing. Like, I know that's a huge lot of questions to ask you, but I think it's a really great place for us to start so people can get your vibe. Oh, fantastic. So it's just so great to be here. And like you say, you know, we've had this conversation offline so many times, it's brilliant to be bringing it online. So I think that um, for me, Undercover Architect, I have been in the industry for over 20 years. I've, uh, I'm a registered architect and I have worked in private practice. I've worked for developers. I've come in my own business. And most of my work in that time has been in residential family homes. Uh, and uh, we personally made the move to the Byron Hinterland about four and a half, almost five years ago now. And when we made the move, I felt that I really wanted to be able to use the experience that I had both in uh, my, my work experience and also my husband and I have done three renovation builds of our own. You know, we lived in them. We, Crazy people. We had a, a baby per renovation. All our kids learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'd seen personally that experience of, of tradespeople turning up and not knowing I was an architect and treating me a certain way that was very different to what I experienced on site in my work every day dealing with builders and tradespeople. And so I just felt that I had too much experience and knowledge that I could share with people um, and that so much was always locked up in a one-to-one relationship and that you really, you know, it felt I could see homeowners uh, could feel that it was just potluck who they got to end up with and whether they got the right kind of advice. And uh, I went to, I was also involved in a, a leadership and immersion program with the Hunger Project and Business Chicks at the end of 2013, where I went, was fortunate enough to travel to Uganda. And saw this methodology where education was being used to empower people to find their way out of hunger and poverty. And I came home really fired up to think about how can I actually create something like that in my industry? And I know that when a homeowner is educated and informed about what she needs to know before she embarks on a renovation or building project, it not only changes, you know, the kinds of questions that she asks and the journey that she has, but it also changes who she is. It changes the confidence level that she has. It changes her mindset. And she becomes this incredible ambassador uh, for her own home and uh, feels that she then can have a voice and be an invested collaborator in making her home come to life. And for me, creating Undercover Architect was really about giving people access to the tools and the knowledge that they needed. So whoever they were working with, whatever their dreams, their location or their budget, they had really high quality experienced advice to help them navigate that journey with confidence and uh, know that they were going to get it right. Mm, it's so true, isn't it? I, I've yeah, had so many friends and family renovate or build over the years and they really all do say, you know, oh, yeah, it was good or, oh, yeah, it sucked or like it seems to really hinge on um, potluck so, so often and the idea that one could learn enough to drive an empowered conversation and be in control of their renovational build is really appealing to me and it's kind of why I do all the health education courses we do with all the amazing doctors and naturopaths because for me it's about increasing patient literacy so that they have empowered health journeys instead of feeling like, well, that's what I was told to do, so, and it didn't work or it did work, yay. You know, such pot luck happens out there in so many ways. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it does. 
It does definitely. And I've had homeowners tell me that they feel like they're walking around with a target on their forehead, waiting to be taken advantage of, waiting to be told some piece of misleading advice. And yet when they learn the information, I've had members from inside my courses say, I sat down with a builder to start talking about my project and they asked what part of the industry I was from. Ah, and and it's that? like, and, it, and you just think, what happened for her in that moment where she went from being on guard against being taken advantage of to being recognised that she had enough knowledge to be mistaken for somebody that was in the industry? Like what would happen to her mindset and her confidence level and then who she could be in that conversation and in her project? And for me, that's the biggest buzz that I get. And, you know, it's I know that it's the same for you as you see people become empowered in their own journeys um, because they have the tools and the resources that they need to have those educated conversations and not feel completely out of their comfort zone and know that they can demand better. You know, I'd sat across the table from enough builders and developers who said the client won't ask for it, so they're not going to pay any more for it, so we're not going to give it to them. And I thought I need to teach these homeowners that they can demand better. There are great people out there doing amazing things. I need to teach them how to find them so that we just weed out the the base common denominator from the industry and we elevate it overall so that everybody has a better experience. And we really change the experience that people have when they're building or renovating their homes. So good, so good. So to that end, let's talk about uh, designing a low-tox home. Um, it is honestly something that just comes up so often in the community and definitely not my expertise as a lifelong renter. Um, so uh, I'd love to start with like talking really big picture stuff. So like what would like a general approach to designing a sustainable low-tox home look like in 2019? Yeah, it's a big, big topic. And mm. it's one of those things, there's so many different terminology uh, items, I suppose, used for around low tox, sustainability, energy efficient, um, low embodied energy. You know, there's just, it's just, it's very confusing for the uninitiated. For me, I always seek uh, to teach homeowners to just make the most of what is naturally available on their site and for their home so that they can capitalize on all of those things that are available for free to really enhance not only the performance performance of their home, but the the long-term running costs and the durability of the home. So I always recommend that people start by considering the orientation. So orientation is which direction your site or your house faces. Now, just to give a quick bit of background, um, if we can make the most of the movement of the sun through our home and how light enters our home and then manage how heat comes into our home or keeping heat out, we can go a long way to reducing our need for electrical heating and cooling and really make the most of natural light in our everyday life. You know, science has proven that we uh, natural light is incredible for, for improving our well-being and our health, lowering anxiety. And if you ever watched a cat move about a house, they always follow <laughs> the patch of sun. And I think that if we, you know, a lot of people in us, particularly in Australia, think we live in a really extreme hot climate. I need to keep all of the sun out. But what you can do is always look to uh, manage the heat and let the sun in. And so, uh, you know, in terms of understanding this, sun obviously rises in the east and sets in the west. Uh, but in the southern hemisphere, the sun moves through the north. In the northern hemisphere, the sun moves through the south. And if you can start to think about where do I spend the most time in my home in the day so that I want to see the sun moving through the sky for the longest period of time, that would be in my living spaces. And so if I can create a home where living spaces face north, northeast, and then I'm managing how that heat comes into my home at different times of the year. That's a really big factor in getting a home design right. 
if you start to then look at other spaces in the home, so putting your service areas, your garaging on the south and the southwest, where particularly in summer, it starts to get very hot in the afternoons and the evenings, looking at your bedrooms being on the east with the rising sun or on the south where the sun, where the light is much more uh, ambient and isn't as direct. And just really thinking about the planning of your home to work with the movement of the sun throughout the day. And uh, where I'm saying north, of course, for our Northern Hemisphere listeners, they can flip that to, to saying south. So um, I've got a lot of resources about this because for me, if you can do this, you get 80% of the way to creating a home that feels great, that functions well, and that you can really capitalise what's naturally available to you. And then, of course, you can move into other things like, you know, uh, breezes. What breezes do you want to allow into your home for natural ventilation? What uh, winds, what strong winds at different times of the year do you want to protect your home from? What views do you want to really capitalise on and really uh, improve that indoor-outdoor connection in your home so you really expand the sense of spaciousness in your home? What privacy and overlooking do you want to protect your home from, from neighbours or from the street? And then any other natural things on your home like vegetation, where water runs and all of those types of things. So these exist on every single site and a lot of people just don't, don't take them into account as their first principles when they design and they're sort of creating then a home that fights against the natural environment and instead you know if we can work on a home that really uh, maximizes this optimizes it and brings it into our everyday life it can greatly improve our health and well-being and improve the performance of the home long term it's so true what you say about it not necessarily being and often not being a, a primary consideration like I've had, you know, been around tables where homes have been being talked about and I'm so excited about the walk-in wardrobe. Like, you know, people are more excited about the the little features of things in a design rather than that, like, basic functionality. So that's a great tip. Um, and then when we're buying a home to do it up, uh, is this something that you recommend we are considering as well? Yeah, most definitely. For me, I mean, we've bought and sold quite a few houses with the renovating that we've done. Before I even thought about uh, going to an open inspection, I looked at an aerial map to see what the orientation of the house was and whether it was wow. workable okay. in terms of. Um, and it's something I see people posting floor plans in Facebook groups all the time. And my first question is, where's North? Because if you're, if you can do that, I just, I can't, it's really hard. For, if you haven't lived in a house where you've had this experience of natural light being really optimised and capitalised in a home, um, you, it's really hard to explain what that experience is actually like on a day-to-day -day basis. And I see if people don't have an awareness of it and they buy a, a, an old home, for example, that has all of its living areas facing due west, so particularly um, or even southwest. So the thing that to understand is the sun it's only on the equinoxes uh, in a year, so the spring equinox and the autumn equinox, so in March and September, where the sun rises due east, sets due west and moves on the same arc through the sky. It then varies based on every day of the year and based on where you are located in the world. And there's a fantastic uh, app that you can download. It's very inexpensive called Sunseeker 3D, and it uh, enables you to see your, you can basically plug in your address and you can see exactly what the sun is going to do on any day of the year uh, as wow. it moves around your home. So you can look at a property you might be going to and you can say, okay, this is where the sun's going to be. The, you know, in Australia, for example, as the sun is in the middle of summer, you think about the summer solstice being around the 21st of December. It's when the sun gets the highest in the sky. It's around for the longest. It is setting a long way south of western position on the compass. A lot of people think, oh, I can't have something that faces 
west, but they don't understand that in summer the sun is actually setting in the southwest. And so you, if you've got all of your living spaces, the sun is going to be very low, horizontal, and have had a lot of time to heat up and cook uh, throughout the course of the day, and it's going to be beating all of that into the spaces that you're trying to enjoy uh, as, 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 the, as the day descends into night, basically. And so it's really a case of considering if you're going to buy a home that doesn't have the ideal orientation – is there a way in the renovations that you do that you can look at perhaps rearranging the rooms in that home or perhaps repurposing the existing rooms in the home for new uses and then adding an extension that is better oriented? And you don't always have to have windows facing the right orientation. You can look at skylights. You can look at um, how you might get lighting from above or behind in order to get the right kind of light into a space mm-hmm. uh, and then looking at how you're going to protect yourself from that extra heat when you need to. Mm. So that's kind of moving into renovation, really, isn't it? When you, you're kind of stuck with something, <laughs> you need to make the best of it. What are, like, let's just say we have someone right now who's been considering renovating or they're just looking at, around their house and they've downloaded the app and they're like, oh, great, it sucks. You know, everything about our position sucks. Um, what, like you mentioned repurposing rooms, does that um, entail a lot of uh, renovation work to do or can, can that be done in quite a nifty kind of way? Like, I don't, yeah, of I don't course know. It- I'm imagining you could turn the living dining into two bedrooms and actually get the wall knocked out behind the kitchen and have that become the living dining where the bedrooms were. You could do things like that, right? You can totally reconfigure Mm. existing floor plans. Um, I often find that when people are thinking about renovating and extending, they often look to completely pull the house apart to put it back together again. And I instead encourage people to look at the floor plan and see how do the rooms work for new purposes and if they're going to extend, what can they then put into the extension in a way that enables them to free up perhaps the constraints of the existing house. One of the reasons that renovating ends up being quite high cost is because it's very labour intensive to work inside constrained spaces, work against old materials, frames that might not be straight. It's all one off. It's all spoke and so it's very time uh, consuming and that in, in, in then ends up pushing up your costs overall but if if you can look you know how am I going to make the most of the orientation and for example if you are just keeping the same footprint how can you look at those rooms and perhaps use them for new uses like you were saying you know the living dining might become that I find that often in an old home you might have that the living and the kitchen is too small um, for what you need but it's a great master bedroom and an ensuite and all the plumbing's all there for the kitchen already and you can get that working and then you can look at perhaps the two other the two bedrooms that were um, you know at the front of the house perhaps that becomes the new living and dining and kitchen you can look at pushing into you know a lot of old homes they'll have little veranda spaces and things like that pushing out into those spaces to get extra room into the floor plan and then even if you're doing an extension looking at do I just use the existing home as the sleeping part of the house and then what I'm adding is the new living pavilion and it's uh it's then can be quite an open plan space I'm not constrained I can capitalize on new build efficiencies I can build it with better materials uh, better choices and get the light working better for me in that in that extension so it's being really strategic about that overall sometimes that that would therefore I I really like what you said about when you're working within old constraints you've got wonky flow it's so true like you know we're in an old-ish apartment building but it's been renovated and all the tiles started cracking in the kitchen and I called the landlord I was like um so funny one like we're definitely not throwing things on the floor but all the tiles are cracking and a tradie came in and he's like, this floor is just completely not level. And, uh, you know, so little things like this happen. And 
when you're renovating, therefore, to just actually consider doing a whole extra floor or a whole extra couple of rooms off the back could actually end up saving you time and money because people are working from from materials and theories that are modern and have efficiency behind them. That's that's huge. I think a lot of that's quite counterintuitive to what a lot of people might think. Yeah, it's I call it my bolt-on strategy and I've used it so many times to help homeowners keep their costs down when they're building and renovating and really get the results and the spaces that they want. So if you're looking at it to buy a house to renovate then and, and you know that the existing house is going to be too small for your needs, for your family, then look at how much land there is around it and how much will you be able to extend out on the same level or even perhaps, you know, I've done projects where the house has been half a story elevated above the garden and we've been able to then bolt on something that slips in underneath the existing roof so you don't even have to break into the existing roof to add it on which again keeps your costs down means that you're not disrupting old roof and you know old ceilings and those types of things and then get the the living extension for example connecting with the garden so you've got that beautiful indoor outdoor flow and you can it means that yeah you just don't have tradespeople working over the top of themselves in tight spaces I've had my husband's you know getting frustrated enough with another non-straight bit of wall and Mm. in having to cut things to measure you know to get to get things being true and and working well and a lot of these old homes they're built out of hardwood so it's not it's not timber that's easy to adjust or or really so it and I think too if you're particularly focusing on a low tox approach and you want to use specific materials or get a well insulated result in your extension or you know have a particular sort of design methodology that this pavilion extension this bolt-on strategy can work really well and I see what happens is that you know we we can then really lower the cost uh, per square meter on the extension versus what needs to be done in the existing house so and yeah I think that thing, you know, the sustainability idea, the the waste that can be produced from pulling apart an old house mm. to then put it back together um, and what you might, uh, you know, be uncovering in the process and also, you know, the fact that you're pre- pretty much destroying an old home for the sake of trying to make it be a new home. Mm. Um, there's very different strategies and ways about going about that. Mm. And often that hardwood would actually be really good, mould-resistant wood, like so it would be worth keeping if it was still intact. So, okay, um, we, it feels like we're kind of moving on to building materials, which is perfect, really, because I think we should talk about that. Uh, what is happening out there in the land of building, design, renovation that you see to be really positive in a move towards more sustainable materials and more health-giving materials? Yeah, it's really exciting to see there's a lot more awareness from the community generally about the importance of choosing well and um, and an understanding of what can impact our health and our well-being in our home. And uh, the fact that we do spend so much time in our homes and the indoor air quality and the types of materials that we have around us on a day-to-day basis and people educating themselves much more. Now, there's still parts of the sector, of course, that aren't aware of this at all. I'm sure you've seen it in your work too. I find that there's sort of two streams. There's homeowners who are really keen, uh, keenly conscious and aware of this and really seeking to maximise it in their homes and understand it and be really educated and savvy and then there's homeowners who are moving into building homes where every bedroom is ensuited and they're not really thinking about the materials it's just about creating a bigger more luxurious home that you know has a bigger footprint and those types of things so I think um, what's also great is that a lot of things that have been available on the commercial market in larger projects are becoming more readily available in the residential market and builders are becoming more used to working with these alternative materials it's always been challenging when you 
you work with uh, contractors who aren't experienced. And so if it's if they don't know it, it's not tested, they can be wary about using it because they have to warrant its performance over the long term. And so getting builders on board with this can always be tricky. But I'm seeing a lot more builders care about this as well. And they're really investing in uh, gaining knowledge around these new materials and products so that they can uh, recommend them to their clients. And, uh, and I'm seeing a lot more resources becoming available and also professionals becoming trained in what is uh, what is worthwhile and meaningful for people to include in their homes. Mm, absolutely. Um, and so in terms of improving the, the quality of the indoor air and uh, the, the general living space, what are some of the materials that people should be considering? I think it's really looking at everything holistically. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 one of these things that uh, once you start to scratch the surface, you obviously realise that it's kind of keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. So um, so the first thing I would actually suggest people be aware of is that like in any industry, there's greenwashing in the construction industry and that things are not always as they seem when they're being presented as something that's sustainable and environmentally friendly and that getting themselves educated about the, the different rating systems and those types of things uh, wherever they're located is really worthwhile so that they can know that the materials have been audited or externally accredited um, by bodies, for example, like the Forestry Stewardship Council for timbers. Um, there's other bodies for different types of materials. Uh, if I, I, of course, there's volatile organic compounds, which people will probably be aware of in terms of, um, and it's it's abbreviated to VOCs. This is a big one in terms of uh, glues, paints, finishes that you use on flooring. Um, and it's basically what happens in the installation and then in the use of the material in a home. So these VOCs will off-gas from a material and they off-gas over a long period of time. And that can change the quality of your indoor air environment. And um, I heard from uh, Kate Hamlet about uh, uh, the fact that she she had a statistic where she said something like your indoor air can sometimes be polluted I think it's something like it between two and five times as much as the outdoor air mm. so it's it's something we we basically come into these homes and we lock ourselves in these boxes um, and we're experiencing all of these VOCs off gassing from materials and the finishes and those types of things that we've put around us so that might be the glues that are in your flooring it might be the paint that you put on the walls uh, and the carpet that you use, nylon carpets and um, the vinyl planking and the laminate floors that people are using. And there's a lot of these materials that are trying to achieve a natural look at a lower cost of delivery. Mm. Vinyl planking and laminate floor is a, is a prime example of this. And uh, and in the end, it's actually um, the the manufacturer that's had to go into place in order to make pull that material together is meaning that it has an impact on the indoor air environment in the home. So yeah, I mean, one of the best things that people can invest in then is air purifiers if they're in any way concerned or if they've measured the VOCs, which is quite easy to do these days with all the little gadgets we have out there. Um, and I'll pop a couple of resources in the show notes. But, um, you know, ha- having a good quality air purifier is paramount. I think, you know, in, in this day and age generally, especially if you live in an urban environment. And so I'll pop some um, information about a couple of great ones in Australia, UK and US so that anyone anywhere can pretty much get them shipped from those three locations. But yeah, I I recommend them to everybody. They make such a huge difference, Um, especially if you're moving straight into something that's just been renovated. And I got a tip from, uh, I was part of the Toxic Home Transformation last year and Dr. Ben Lynch talked about how when he did his build, even though everything was ridiculously low tox, 
there was still an element of, you know, like the kitchen, um, the kitchen cupboard surfaces were laminate. You know, it's, it's almost impossible to go completely natural everywhere. There's going to be some glue or some lack of something somewhere. And he uh, turned the heaters on inside before they moved all their furniture in. He got the heating turned up, closed the whole thing up, and then aired the whole, so got the VOCs to off gas on steroids, basically, with all the heat, and then opened everything up to uh, bring in a whole bunch of fresh air, put in the air purifiers, and they all moved in, and the air quality was amazing in a brand new place. So there are some little nifty tricks you can do um, that I'm learning about, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, the glues are one big thing. I mean, there's products in Australia that we use that aren't necessarily approved for use elsewhere in the world. So, um, and so it's Does, just by that. Do you mean uh, potentially dangerous? Yeah, well, yeah. it's you know the formaldehyde that exists in MDF and other compressed timber products. There's parts of Europe where you can't use those products at all, um, and so you know there are you can find contractors who will specifically uh, only work with, uh, for example, there's a company called Greener Kitchens where he specifically works mm. with FSC Timbers to create timber kitchens um, that don't use those types of glues. Uh, and it it is it's just it's it's really thinking about every aspect and fact asset of your home and um, how you're going to choose well. And it, it can become really overwhelming. So I always encourage that you find a professional to kind of support you on the journey who's qualified and has done all of the research. So building biologists, there's specialist interior designers uh, and other design professionals who have done a lot of research into this area. Um, and there's a lot of online resources that you can look at. For example, in Australia, there's a website called EcoSpecifier, which has done a lot of uh, uh, ratings and accreditation of different building products. Um, so, you know, it's really just doing that research and understanding what you need to look for, the kinds of questions that you need to ask. A lot of it comes down to the manufacturer of the specific product, um, how it's been put together and uh, what, what's sort of holding it together um, and whether that's going to cause you any problems in terms of allergies or toxicity uh, in, its, in its use in the home. Mm. And would you say one of the best things, one of the biggest reasons we need to arm ourselves with greater uh, literacy, if we're going to take on a build or a reno, is to prevent dodginess from happening. Because I have heard time and again, people get, and, and this is absolutely not bagging any amazing builders or architects out, of course not, but people do have these problems where they move into their brand new build or their new renovation and all of a sudden um, the subfloor wasn't done properly and then it's getting wet every time it rains or um, the gutters aren't done properly and then things are coming through into the ceiling and they're getting huge water damage issues in new buildings. Another reason is things are being fluid like the, um, the exhaust for cooking or the fan extractor in a bathroom and it's actually just going into the wall cavities or the ceiling and so it's just getting hot and humid in there and starting to grow mold how do we i mean yes it's about literacy but without actually knowing what that looks like when it's right ourselves how do we know for sure that the job is being done well it's really hard, isn't it? Because mm. there are some seriously bad apples that have tarnished the industry overall and, and created a lot of mistrust for homeowners who are embarking mm. on this journey. I think that um, it's really a case, what I find people do when they're going about their building or renovation project, they're often, firstly, they're often 
focusing completely on how they're going to get it built. They forget that there's a whole heap of hoops they're going to have to jump through in the lead up to that. They're so caught up in, I just need to get this dream realized. I need to run, rush to construction and I need to make this happen. And so the, the all of the pre-work that happens that really enables you to get it right and control how construction happens uh, in terms of the drawings, the specifications, the information, the design, all of that which manages the builder's work on site kind of gets rushed through because there's a desperation to get it built. The next thing is just in terms of how people go about finding the team that they're working with. Um, I find particularly women almost feel like they need to be liked by the professionals that they're working with. They feel scared to be confrontational, have difficult conversations, um, speak up for things that they don't necessarily know about or agree with. They don't understand terminology and they don't ask for it to be explained to them. And if a builder, builders aren't taught how to communicate, architects aren't taught how to communicate, it's not something you learn as part of your industry training. So it's it's uh, you really need to see that you're going to be interviewing somebody, not just mining them for information about your project, but that they're going to be the right person to have a relationship with you for a very long time because you're going to have this person in your life and you're going to be investing a lot of money in their work um, over a period of time. And I feel that that the way that those relationships get set up isn't fostering the kinds of uh, connections that need to happen. And so I really... Uh, educate homeowners you need to ask these people what is their process who have they worked with in the past can you talk to those clients um you know can you see their projects and see what they've done before not just the ones that they want to show you but the ones that you randomly pick can you speak particularly for builders can you speak to their subcontractors and their suppliers are they paying their bills on time you know are they great to work with how do they have longevity in their business do they run their business like they're going to be here in 10 years time when you want to call them because something needs being you know needs to be fixed there's this whole thing where instead what's happening for people is they get a builder around, they start throwing a whole heap of ideas about things, whether it's going to be able to stack up against the cost that they want to spend and they forget that they need to test is the relationship really going to be right and does this person really know what they're talking about. And I think because there's such a mismatched expectation between what people want to do and what they want to spend on it, I find that people's budgets are about 50 to 75% of where they need to be to match the dreams wow. that they have for their projects. <laughs> wow, that says and everything, just, yeah, doesn't it? There's this really rude adjustment that happens on front and unfortunately what happens for people is they just keep asking until they get the answer that they want from the dodgy builder who's willing to deliver a rubbish product um, or knows that they're going to lowball their quote and then charge them in variations so that they're then stuck having to find cash as their project rolls out on site or cut corners in order to be able to manage um, delivering their project on budget. So it's it's just people, people, I find they hesitate and procrastinate and take ages to get to the point of going, yep, let's go. And then when they say let's go, they want it all done yesterday. And it really needs to be done methodically, proactively, working together to pull a really collaborative team of experts that meet you where your needs are at, fantastic at communication and keeping you informed and that really support you and guide you as you navigate that project and have done it loads of times before. Mm, such good advice. So good. And, and this, I see this in the health space as well. You know, we don't actually audition people to become a part of our health team and uh, we just, well, they're a naturopath, so it must be right. Or they're a doctor, it must be right. Or the surgeon said so. So, you know, and like if you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel like you truly understand what's going on, there's the common lesson in many things in life where you're not the expert. Demand at least to get an understanding from a really good explanation so you feel confident. Mm. Yeah. 
I find that people ignore the warning signs because they're just so desperate to make it happen and Mm. so they don't see the red flags. And there's always, whenever you hear a disaster story, there was always several red flags very early back in the piece. And we also get very scared of having those difficult conversations and of walking away from something that's not right because we feel uh, that we've already invested and there's going to be lost cost or lost time. Yeah, there's a sense of shame around that because, you know, your family will be asking you, your friends will be asking you, so how did it go with the, oh, yeah, no, it didn't end up happening. Um, Whereas if you can come back and say, no, well, the thing was I asked them to explain X, they couldn't even do that. And so in the end I'm now auditioning other builders. That's a much better way to, to treat that. Okay, cool. Um, So you've interviewed quite a few incredible uh, people in the space of, I guess, new frontiers of how we build buildings to be more healthful for people and planet. And uh, I've I've heard you use some of the terms passive home, zero energy home, and a lot of people out there who have been um, talking to building biologists or hearing building biologists on podcasts have might have started to become quite fearful of energy star ratings because we've seen some of the horror stories in the big um, office buildings that were built as the first six star or the first seven star end up being little bubbles of humidity and creating you know horrific mold through air convents and all sorts of disasters but there's some really good energy stuff happening do you want to speak to a couple of those things so that people can kind of get it on their radar and and have a look into them Yeah, well, this was something that my community were asking a lot of information about. It was really uh, fantastic to be able to dive into more on the podcast and particularly to learn about Passive House. Passive House was something that I'd been wanting to learn about and uh, and to be able to interview specialists who work inside uh, the industry and specifically focus on Passive House was really brilliant. So Passive House is not a brand name. It's not a trademark. It's actually a building system. It's a way of approaching building design to create homes that are very low energy, that are uh, and create a really comfortable indoor air environment that supports the health and the well-being of the occupants. It uh, Passive House began in Germany, so it's actually P A S S I V H A U S is the mm-hmm. original spelling of it. And uh, and they started to see the benefits of creating buildings in this way. And there's now uh, organisations around the world that um, also bring Passive House to their local communities. Um, the what was really interesting when interviewing these people who were working in Passive House community in Australia was there were two things that were really consistent with them. One was that they were just passionate about the environment, passionate that we could build in a better way that really supported not only our health and our well-being um, and created fantastic homes, but also improved the impact that our homes have on the environment. The building industry is one of the biggest energy users of um, in the environment and it also has a huge impact on waste and a whole heap of other facets. Like if we could change the building industry, we'd go a long way to improve improving the environment overall and so they could really see the opportunity there and the other consistent one was that many of them either had a European partner or they'd lived in Europe at some point in time and then they'd come back to Australia and just had a reference point and some perspective on how badly our homes in Australia Mm. and this also happens in the States actually protect us from the extremes of our climate 
And uh, it's been really interesting because, you know, I've been, uh, some of the questions I would receiving from people was, is something like this really relevant for Australia? Because our climate isn't that extreme. And it's, and, you know, they'd say this <laughs> to me. Have you just think, been through summer? <laughs> I'm sitting in like in my house in this 39 degree day, just yeah. sweltering yeah. because my house is poorly insulated. It's got single glazed windows. There's breezes throwing, flowing through every crack and crevice. Your next and renovation been, project. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to really help us, you know, yeah. in terms of, and the, and the thing is that the approach in Australia is build a home and then put a big box on the wall and throw a whole heap of money at it to pump hot or cool air in the form of air conditioning into mm. our houses. And, uh, and we don't have to do that. Um, and we can design differently and we can design better um, when we have the information and knowledge that we need. And some of these building, I suppose, performance systems are the way to go about doing it. So the thing to obviously understand about, you know, to get a building approval in Australia and in a lot of places around the world, you need to achieve a base level of energy efficiency, which is usually measured by some agreed accreditation system and a star rating. And so in Australia, at the moment, that's a six-star energy rating system. And uh, and it's basically satisfying a series of criteria that you achieve that rating, which is then measuring the amount of energy your home is going to use over its performance. Things like Passive House, uh, Net Zero Energy, there's a whole heap of rating systems that are now available that homeowners can tap into if they wish to push the envelope on what they're doing for their own home and find professionals who are trained in these different uh, types of uh, systems. Um, and the Passive House is a really good one in particular because their modelling system actually works at such a level of detail that it will predict based on the number of people living in the home, their daily activities, the type of home that it is, where it's located, the orientation it faces, the materials that you're using, the type of glazing, blah, 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 blah. It will factor all of those things into to figure out exactly how much heating and cooling it will need and then it will be able to moderate how you build the building to be able to change that. And then the benefit is that the builder putting it together then has to demonstrate and prove that they are building the building according to all of those performance systems and the building gets audited after it's constructed that it measures up to that performance uh, rating system that was part of the design process. So, you know, it's it's there's great benefits with some of these rating systems that they do remove some of that uncertainty that you have. Did I really get the home built the way that I wanted it to be? Um, because there's a post-construction audit that happens, which isn't, I mean, that does happen in, in a standard construction, but, you know, a building certifier will come and a structural engineer will come and they'll sign off specific things, but they won't look potentially at did the builder seal all around the windows? Was the window installed correctly? There's a lot of tolerances in base standards for how we build, you know, that perhaps as a homeowner, we wouldn't necessarily want to tolerate ourselves. So it is, you know, it's really, um, it's really interesting to see how these other rating systems give homeowners some flexibility and opportunity if they do want to push their home to a different level of performance. How amazing. And can we include some things in the show notes, a couple of links for people to specific episodes yeah. that talk about that? Because I think they are going to be a lot of people excited about that. That's great. Most definitely. I've been really excited to see how Passive House particularly has really started to hit people's radar. Um, and of course, there's, you know, you don't, you don't have to go to something like that. But what I'm finding is that once people start to understand something like Passive House or these other energy rating systems, um, you know, they do understand how base level the code current standards are. And uh, and we seem to be, the industry seems to, I mean, the construction industry is one of the most lagging industries in terms of innovation. You know, we still build houses the same way that we did <laughs> 20 or 30 years ago. It's still people standing on a site putting together bricks and sticks and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And you see these innovations 
relocations that happen in Europe in uh, in areas where they lose construction time over winter and they're looking at, you know, prefab and, um, you know, building these beautiful airtight but thermally comfortable, naturally ventilated homes uh, and that really manage the, the mould, the dust mites, allergies, all of those kinds of things. And um, yet in Australia, we are building these very thin skins around us and uh, and so, you know, and building them in very traditional ways. So it's really exciting to see people starting to get on board with the fact that this, because it's going to take homeowners demanding it and, uh, you know, for the, for the industry to generally move with it, I think. Mm. And what are you seeing in terms of cost comparisons, engaging someone who's specialised in passive house is it going to set us back a lot more or is it comparable the general feedback that I'm getting is that to achieve sustainability or a sustainable design is around, um, you know, 15% more, um, which can be a lot of money if you're spending, mm. you know, sort of four hundred to $800,000 on a house, that can be a big chunk of change. I think that if we can think differently about the money that we're spending, so often people look at that bucket of upfront cost and don't think about the long-term costs of running their home. And so they might spend $500,000 on a house, but then know that they're signing up to $2,500 a quarter energy bills that are only going to keep going up because Mm. of the way that energy costs keep climbing. Whereas instead, if we can think, okay, I'm going to save this amount of money on the ongoing performance of my home, which may mean that I can actually put a bit more into my mortgage, or I can, you know, I can change the way that I think about how I'm financing this project to begin with, or I'm delaying my gratification in a few other areas. You know, I've, I, interviewed uh, Frances Cosway from White Pebble Interiors, who's an interior designer who created her own sustainable home. And she she actually implemented a few different sustainability measures. Her husband has gone on to become a Passive House certified consultant because he found the whole process so interesting. Mm. And, and, uh, and she said, we just made compromises because things, we prioritized the things that were really important to us. And this is the thing, people are prioritizing the beautifully fitted out at ensuite or the amazing, you know, huge walk-in robe, but they're not prioritizing the things that are actually going to improve their health and well-being in their home. They're thinking about the gadgetry and the, you know, all of the added on extras. And, yeah, the cute you know, taps. you can, <laughs> yeah, and you can create the room for the walk-in robe very inexpensively and fit it out down the track. This will not be the last lot of money you ever spend on this house. And if you're building your long-term forever family home, it's going to need to be flexible and adaptable as your life changes and your demands and needs for it change as well. So building in that ability for flexibility and adaptability and really prioritizing the things. A lot of the things that I've spoken about don't cost any more. Designing for orientation, maximizing your natural assets, all of those types of things, they're just that you need to know them up front. You need to hold them as true and valuable to you as you go about your design um, so that they actually guide your decision making rather than you trying to add them on later down the track. Mm, Such good advice. Um, And something I'm curious to ask you your opinion on. So when one is going through uh, university to become a draftsperson or an architect or a builder, um, nowhere in that conversation in the past and still not currently is anyone told, and you'll want to make sure there's a good building biologist on your team. Uh, You know, that's just not part of the conversation. And I know you would have discovered them more recently as well yourself as a, um, an architect. How do, do you feel about uh, having a building biologist on the team for people? And Because um, uh, I know you've been quite excited about what they can bring to the table. I'd love to see how you mentally kind of processed what this new person that you didn't learn about can actually do t- for this, for this long-term, long-game um, approach to designing a house. 
Yeah, look, the thing for me is that renovating and building is a team sport, mm. you know, and it and it relies on you having really good professionals around you who are going to have the expertise that you need to, to fulfil the demands that you want and the dreams that you have for your home. And so I see a building biologist as another essential team men- member for somebody who is really focused on wanting to create a low-tox or a low-allergy or, you know, really have specific criteria for what they want to achieve in their project because it's such a huge area of knowledge to know when you I mean, there's so many pockets and rabbit holes to disappear down when it comes to building and renovating um, that it's very difficult to have a deep, in-depth knowledge of all of it um, unless you've been working for a very, very long time and you've worked very hard at that. So to bring in this extra professional who has specifically focused on that sector um, of uh, of, indus- oh, sorry, of industry professional kind of uh, information is, is really valuably adding to your team. And so I just always encourage, I think the dangerous thing that people do when they're building and renovating is they silo all of their activities so they get their design done by somebody they then or they might do it themselves they then go to somebody to get that drawn up they then go to the consultants that they might need or they go straight to the builder they then find out that they need to go back somewhere and get it drawn up and they're trying to be the person that coordinates all of that process and when you're a newbie renovator or builder you don't you just don't know what you don't know and all of the knowledge that's falling into the gaps between all of that kind of isolation of activity if you can instead bring a team together see yourself as an equal collaborator in making your project happen and get that team talking and coordinating their work with each other, mm-hmm. that's how you achieve the best results and really deliver on all of the criteria and goals that you have for your home. Oh my gosh, that is such a great piece of advice to finish on. I love that because it is so true. It is a team sport. I think if people take one thing out of today, that is that is it. And I, I don't think many people would think to get the architect, the builder, the building biologist all sitting around a table together um, you're so right. It is that they see themselves as a coordinator, that they have to be the liaison between everybody. And when you don't know the language fluently, then things can get lost in translation. So, yeah. Amazing. So much good stuff. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been such a good chat. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, bringing Kate on now to discuss the more intricate aspect of interiors. I think it's just going to be such a great resource for people and I'm highly, highly appreciative. Thanks, Amelia. Oh, it's my pleasure, Alex. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk with your community about this and for all the awesome work that you do as well in supporting the health and the wellness of your community too. Oh, thanks. And today's show notes are packed, people. So go ahead to them. We have a lot of links of everything that we just spoke about. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Amelia Lee. And now we start to have this conversation with Kate Hamlet, which dives a little bit more deeply into, actually a lot more deeply into um, the specifics around interiors choices uh, and and renovating material choice, uh, as well as air quality. So I hope you enjoy this second part to the bumper chat all about home building and renovating. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hi, Alex. Good. How are you? I'm really great. Thank you. And thank you so much for being part of this bumper show that I've done by sticking you and the amazing Amelia Lee together uh, to wise us up about how to design and renovate for uh, with health and the planet in mind. Um, yep. And uh, and I want to just kind of start uh, for the people who haven't heard of your work or who are really new to this whole concept of really having a think about how we build, what direction we build in, what we then uh, use as materials for the home and for our interiors. I'd, I'd love to sort of get a little bit of an idea about how it all started for you. So did you always want to be an architect? 
yes, for I, the majority of my life now I did. I think I decided when I was like 10 years old that oh, wow. I was going to be an architect. Wow. <laughs> so, it's it's been um, a long going process for me, and it was funny. It was just, um, of course, I'll be playing with Legos. That certainly helped, but um, <laughs> just doing home designs. Like my dad loved to design um, or redesign, I should say, the house that we lived in. Um, to my mom's irritation, probably, but he was always at the kitchen counter, um, just drawing plans and designing. So I just sat with him and started doing that, and um, fell in love with it. So that's really. But inspired me, I think, got me going. Awesome. I love it. And, uh, and, and then so obviously the idea of how you design for the health of the people living inside or working inside and the health of the planet kicked in at some point. Were you like born and raised super eco-conscious, hippie parents, or was there more <laughs> of like an aha that happened down the track for you? There is. Well, um, I was definitely – raised with the um, just understanding of conservation, uh, not super hippie parents, anything like that. But we were just always careful about uh, reusing, conserving, um, all that kind of stuff. Grew up in the mountains, so I was always outside in nature, playing with it. And I mean, so I understood the importance of protecting it. Um, so I loved it from that aspect. But it was really when I got to college that I learned that I could, um, you know, make the planet healthier by the way that we design buildings. So it just, once I, that was the aha moment, I guess, um, when I realized that I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is amazing. I can combine my love for architecture with my love for preserving our planet. So it was, it was a really cool moment to, to discover the power that architecture um, has. Yeah, absolutely. And something you talk about um, was the few initial changes you made, you noticed as a new parent. Uh, and your home wasn't supporting you guys to thrive. Talk me through what started to unfold for you there. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I've always um, had this passion for sustainable design, so building for the planet. But it really wasn't until I became a parent and had um, had this new life to take care of and um, my life changing drastically that I started to really understand um, what designing a healthy building actually is. And, um, so those, uh, like once I realized that, uh, I needed to change my house to make though that the way that we felt better, um, is when I really started digging into the healthy aspects of creating, uh, buildings that supported human health and human happiness yeah and and so you started to kind of like were there any like oh wow if I did this instead of this that'd make a huge yeah. change and it's funny exactly it all kind of started by accident and it was before there's there is a um, international building standard out called the well building standard and that's all it does it kind of it guides uh, architects and designers builders on um you know, creating a building that makes the occupants healthier and happier. But before I knew about this, I started doing it to my own home just by little tweaks I was making. So uh, one of the big things, because as an architect, definitely a stressful job. So being a new parent is obviously stressful and a change. Uh, I would come home at the end of the day and I would just walk into our little um, rental property, um, very small house. So the, we just walked right into the living room and and no, I didn't realize it um, 
you know, for the few years that we were living there beforehand, but it was, it was making me agitated when I came home after a stressful day because there is a little bit of clutter here and there. It wasn't well organized. Um, there was just things that were, that were agitating me, uh, that were making me more stressed throughout the evening. So it was interesting. And so I really, once I realized that it wasn't making me feel good, I started changing the living room around. So when I came home at the end of the day, uh, rather than feeling agitated, I, you know, I um, organized the, because we didn't have a coat closet or anything like that. So there's just shoes um, piling up, there's coats piling up, there's mail piling up. Uh, and it was just, so it was stressing me out. So I, you know, worked on creating a space that like just getting a, a shoe rack, getting a place to hang our coats, getting a place to put our mail. Uh, so clearing the clutter was really helpful in, in starting to create calm when I came home to help alleviate that stress. Um, adding houseplants into our living space because houseplants help uh, boost our our moods, um, humans thrive on that connection to nature. So adding houseplants was really big. And, um, so that was a, that, that was really probably the first thing I did, which in, in a healthy home, it's, you know, you think it's all about air and water quality, which it definitely is, but there is so much more that encompasses a healthy home. And that's about making sure that your mind is healthy as well. So your house doesn't want to be stressing you out. It's so true. Um, we actually have a challenge that we run every few months in our Lotox club that I call it the um, get rid of the micro shits challenge. <laughs> like those tiny them. little things that give you the shits. You keep walking past the pile of mail or the, the cluttered um, entry hall, as you put it. Or little tiny things, like maybe it's the fly screen that is broken so you haven't been able to open the window freely or whatever it is. And for seven days we fix one of those little things that's been giving us the shits every single day. And it is the simplest of things, but it really makes you feel like you've been kicking goals and it significantly reduces the amount of noise in your head that is negative in a tiny, almost subconscious, but still filling up like your negativity quota. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing to for everybody to challenge themselves to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the great thing is that once you do it, it's like an instant mood boost. It is. So yeah. there, I mean, you know, there are definitely some things that you do to make your home healthier that you don't really notice the change. So it's like, why did I just do that? Um, it's helping, but you don't really feel the impacts of it right away or mm. in such a... Um, such a in your face way but when you clear that clutter and um and start organizing things a little bit better making things calmer then you it is an instant mood boost and you definitely so it's like instant gratification that's why i love it <laughs> yeah exactly humans love that kind of thing um yeah. <laughs> so you you start making a few of these changes uh and obviously you start thinking about how you can bring that into your architecture on your website, you quote the Cradle to Grave founder, William McDonough, um, and uh, his quote is, how about designing a building that nourishes and restores living systems? And I'm like, wow, that is such a powerful <laughs> notion and almost like powerful, great, yes, awesome, super positive, but why did we not start this from the beginning? Like, <laughs> Or why didn't we not continue 
as we had started using the kind of materials that allow breathability and discourage water damage and mold and all the good things. So can you share what cradle to cradle is for the people who hadn't heard that phrase? Yeah. So cradle to cradle is, um, well, basically the opposite of cradle to grave. That's the idea of, Mm. um, you know, when you talk about or think about building materials or any material, like even a, a water bottle, that it's eventually, its life is eventually going to end. And once it ends, it ends up in the landfill, the oceans, wherever it may be, and it's going to be hurting our planet. So the idea of cradle to cradle is that no product has an end life. Everything um, will either um, be able to continue, like constantly be reused and reused in the same quality over and over again, or it's a natural material and it will degrade, um, decompose and go back into the, the earth where it belongs and where it's restoring uh, other living systems. So... It's really cool. I mean, it can be applied to products like the water bottle or, I mean, any, literally any material object, um, but also in uh, whole buildings as well. So how you design your house, you can be thinking about how it is um, helping to restore the ecosystem. Um, yeah. Through the cool. And, uh, and how has your architecture therefore evolved over time to embody that nourishment and restoration of living systems? Like, what what did you consciously start to bring in and pay more attention to? Well, so this is interesting because I learned this quote uh, in college, and this is when I first learned about William McDonough in Cradle to Cradle. And um, so uh, designing healthy or sustainable buildings, so planet-friendly buildings, I'm like, well, this is great. I'm, you know, I'm able to be doing these nourishing and restoring of living systems and um, carrying it through that through my practice but it was really when I got into healthy buildings where things kind of shifted because there are uh, you know some there are materials out there so especially when you're thinking about using reused materials that is a great way to keep things from the landfill and to just be you know so you reuse a, a wood table um, that used to be a barn board or something like that. So you're repurposing in the same form that it was in. So it's not degrading the material before you get your hands on it. So it's really, it's following suit with cradle to cradle, but there could be chemicals in that barn board that um, that's unhealthy to be putting into your house. Yeah. So, so this is like pallet, um, using pallets for yeah, upcycling. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you have to be really careful about that. So then like once I started learning about healthy materials and how we just have to be really careful about when we start using reused materials, like um, even in concrete, they use this thing called fly ash, which is a byproduct of burning um, coal. So it's helping to reduce virgin materials that are used in concrete but that fly ash can be contaminated so now you don't even want to be using recycled concrete so it's like you have to now consider um you know if you're going to be building a healthy home well then do i need to be getting all new materials because that's uh, going against cradle to cradle Mm. so but then it's it's like the struggle is real because it's uncontaminated Something I'll just yeah. share personally a, a, a constant 
struggle I went through last year when I, um, the year before, was diagnosed with SIRS, so chronic inflammatory response syndrome to mould. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was very, very sick uh, to the point where when we tested the home and, and realised how bad the water damage was there, I had to leave almost everything behind. And that really goes against, that is a lot of waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tried to clean as much as we could, you know, wearing the appropriate uh, protective wear and everything to give to charities and, and those sorts of things. But some things had to be left. And now I, I'm left with the inability to borrow books from a library, for example, because I don't know whether those books have come from a home that's water damaged. And, you know, like paper and moisture are where mould love to thrive. So right. <laughs> little sustainable um, cradle to cradle things that I would have done very regularly I would have always tried to buy op shop furniture before new furniture all that kind of stuff I now have to buy brand spanking new because I need to protect myself and um, right. I've landed in the place where I've thought well there are many other ways that I'm extremely sustainable I also educate in the space to help thousands and thousands of people um, change their practice to be more um, more cradle to cradle and like you know you have to you have to be proactive where you can and not stress yourself out about your limitations because i think if you give that too much uh airtime then it can paralyze you from doing the good that you can do does that make sense yeah definitely mm. <laughs> yes there there's a balance yeah there is um, yeah, so it's very important. Um, but I will say with Cradle to Cradle, the, so now they, it was a book. It started out as a book, and now it's this whole um, company that that rates products and so for building products and household products. So you can go in and see what, what rating they give for, like, the health of um, the material so you can see if it's a healthy choice for you or not. That's but, amazing. Uh, hold on, hold on, stop. That's exciting. Sorry. So is that, like, a website, and can people check that out for free? Yes, of Amazing. course. Yes, it's all free. Okay, we'll pop it in the show notes today, guys, so that you can um, you can jump on board with that. I know we have a lot of renovators in the community uh, who will be really excited about that. That's great. Yeah, that is. That's one of my um, number one resources mm. for finding healthy products. Um, but with their all the work that they are doing as this company, the, uh, they are. I mean, they're so their overall goal is to make products that never ever stop having a purpose they never go into the landfill they never die so if you think about it you could um you know i don't know if there are too many products out there right now but i'm hoping that this you know trend continues and they exist is that um you might be thinking so say uh you have i don't know like a carpet in your house and the carpet manufacturer you're done with your carpet the carpet manufacturer can come in and take it and give it new life. They they do what they do to it to make it basically a new carpet without doing any more harm to the planet. And it's also not a harmful uh, product itself. This is a bad example because I don't recommend carpet in homes, healthy homes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was about to say, um, where's she going with this? <laughs> but the thing is, if now if the next person gets that carpet, it's a brand new carpet for them, and it's technically a healthy product. Um, you know, the, the materials that they use to make this carpet is all healthy. Uh, then it is, uh, you know, it is the cradle-to-cradle philosophy, but it's still a brand new product for you. So um, I, I wish I had a better example than carpet, but for some reason that popped into my head. So the idea is that you you are getting a new healthy product 
that has been certified by Cradle to Cradle, but it had a previous life as that same product. Mm. Um, well, could, so could yeah, floorboards be? Explain. Could floorboards be that as well? Yeah, I mean the the idea is that any material should be should be able to do this. Um, so it's a bit theoretical at this point mm. with uh, with most of it, but I think that's the ultimate goal too. With any material, if you're done with it in your in your house or building or even if it's a shoe, <laughs> like yeah. you can bring give it back to the manufacturer, they can take the parts that are going to work again and make a new shoe out of it. Yeah. Oh well, the mud jeans guys in Europe do this. Okay, great. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really cool. <laughs> there are a few businesses popping up, you know, this real circular economy taking off and and um, and manufacturers kind of taking responsibility for their initial materials and allowing mm-hmm. you to um, give them back to them so that they can repurpose them uh, instead of it ending up in a charity bin, which ends up being shipped off to somewhere, which ends up in landfill so often. Yeah, mm. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it's going to be finding those healthy products that are originally healthy and see how they get to be reused opposed to downgraded and eventually thrown away. But um, I guess that's, that is my mission now to find those resources and those products so that um, they can be, we can be specifying them. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. Super cool. Um, Sorry, I went down long. No, no, I I love a good tangent. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, So a lot of people sort of fear that and seem to find that a healthy home with ecologically sound building materials and building and renovating are going to be much more costly. And I've seen your blog, a couple of blog posts on this. So if, you know, the answer is brief today, please don't fear everybody. I'm going to link a couple of key points blog posts from Kate's website because they're really, really detailed. It doesn't necessarily have to be the case, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I did just do, I did a Facebook live and there's also a blog post um, connecting to that all about how to make sure your healthy home does not cost any more than a non-healthy home would. Um, So just a real quick synopsis. Basically, there are some things that are going to cost more in a healthy home. And that is going to be certain materials that you choose, mainly in the finishes, because you want to make sure you're picking finishes that are not off-gassing. Um, and then also in the mechanic, you when you build a healthy home, it's going to be airtight, which means you have to install a mechanical ventilation system. And that a lot of times that doesn't get factored in on a typical home. So those are the added costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, things uh, like materials aside from finishes and the reason why certain finishes are more expensive because you're looking at things like getting solid wood opposed to particle board because particle board has formaldehyde in it. So solid wood materials will cost more. So the finishes are going to be more expensive. But when you look at building products, like, you know, you're, you're still building a typical wood stud wall. Uh, you can still have fiberglass insulation or another uh, form of inexpensive insulation. Mineral wool is not very expensive. Uh, same like the sealants, the caulking, all that stuff is still going to be in the same price point as a typical house where you really, um, you know, need to be spending the time to make sure you're creating a healthy home. And what really matters is the way it's designed. And this is going to uh, be such a big impact on you having a healthy home 
uh, to live in is the, the how it's how the house is laid out, um, how the rooms are connected, how it's interacting with the sun and outdoors, and um, how the walls are um, deciding to be constructed. So all those things happen in the design process, and. Uh, that obviously that doesn't cost any more on the construction side. So as long as you're spending time in the design process, you're working with an architect or designer that really understands healthy home design and um, building airtight, watertight homes, um, then you are going to be on the right path to getting your healthy home without it costing mm. any more. Yeah. And a lot of people, you've said airtight, watertight, so I really feel like we can kind of dive into those two things and some ideas on how we can do that. Um, let's start with uh, watertight. Mold is a bit of a hot topic for our community. Um, ever since I started talking about my journey with mold illness, uh, I can't tell you how many people have come out of the woodwork with all sorts of chronic inflammatory conditions that have finally been able to start healing because our medical system doesn't recognize as an illness so it's not something that's routinely mm -hmm. tested at your gp or even with specialists as i found and so you can go for months if not years thinking well this is my crappy lot in life um you know so unlucky but really what um what it is is water damaged buildings so how do we design best for um for longevity of um of water tightness Sure. So, yes, we definitely want to be keeping water and moisture out of our walls. And uh, I don't want to get too technical, but there are so when you're designing your house, there's um, and to avoid getting water in your walls. There's a couple of things that are that you're going to be working with. You're going to be working with bulk water, which is rain um, and also moisture. So with with rainwater, the one of the easiest things to do when the rainwater is falling from the sky is to make sure you have a good overhang on your home. So just having a roof overhang. So, you know, there are some, some houses where the, the roof basically stops right at the edge of the, the exterior wall. And that means rain can just kind of fall right onto your, the side of your house. And you don't want that. Mm -hmm. If you have an overhang, it helps keep the water off of your, siding off yep. the side of your house um but then there's also wind driven rain so when it's really windy and it's raining that rain is blowing sideways and it's pummeling your walls so that's a lot of times when water will get into your your walls and it okay. happens uh yeah so that happens like you know whenever you have um cracks in your walls like a lot of times around windows and doors if the if you don't have a proper weather barrier or water barrier on the outside of your wall so there are steps you need to take in the wall assembly to make sure that any water that hits the outside of the wall is not going to get in and that's by making sure you have a good water barrier on the outside of your building and then making sure you're properly flashing around your windows and um your your ceiling all around your windows with a good sealant so water cannot get in okay so that is uh that's rainwater that's a big one um but then the other problem when especially when you live in a in a humid area is moisture so moisture getting into your walls is a huge source of 
mold growth. And I'm assuming in Australia, oh, it's I think humid. it's more of a yeah. hot, hot, humid climate. Mm, especially so, the East yeah. Coast, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so that's probably a, a pretty common uh, problem. There is all the moisture in the walls. And we have moisture, they call it vapor retarders, that we want to be putting on walls when it's really humid so that moisture is not getting into the wall. Ooh, vapor moisture. retarders. So yeah. how do they work? <laughs> I've never heard that term before. So it is um, – it's just a thin film, and honestly, sometimes even paint can act as a vapor retarder. Uh, it's it's basically just limiting the amount of moisture that can that can transfer um, through your wall. So, like if you have drywall on your wall, um, then it limits the amount of moisture that can go from your interior space into your wall cavity. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, so the problem, one of the problems is once the moisture is in the walls, you need to make sure you can get the moisture out. And this is where it's getting, I know I'm getting very technical. No, so it's good. I, Go there. We've got so, a, com- a whole community full of super nerdy people. So we like the details. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so what we really want to make sure, because no matter how watertight we make our walls, no matter how we try to keep the moisture out, moisture will get into our exterior wall cavities. And when that happens, we need to make sure the moisture can come out. And this is the most important thing. So you don't want to have a vapor um, retarder or in the most extreme case, it's called a vapor barrier, which is basically a sheet of plastic or something where literally no vapor can go through. So if there's moisture in the wall, it is not getting through at all. You don't want to have a vapor barrier on both sides of your wall cavity, essentially trapping the moisture in your wall. That um, So when water you know, spills into your wall cavity, then it just sits there and gets trapped. Or um, going even more technical, if you have insulation in your wall and there's um, the dew point <laughs> is where your moisture in the air condenses into liquid water. And if that's happening in your wall, then all of a sudden you're getting um, water inside your walls that is going to grow mold as well. So whenever that happens, the moisture needs to get out. So make sure you are not um, trapping the moisture in your walls. So that is, I mean, I could talk about this for a very long time, so I don't want to go too far into it. But that's essentially... I I guess what, what would be a good thing to ask here is how do we develop the kind of literacy we need to uh, impose the importance of that on the process of building something with the people we're working with, with the team we're working with, architects, builders, draftspeople, um, whoever we, we bring on board? Yeah, so, um, I mean, just having that basic understanding that we want to make sure water's not getting into our walls and that if it does get into our walls, it needs to get out. Uh but really, it's relying on the architect and the builder to have that understanding. So yeah. um, talking to the architect, even before you choose the architect, talking to them about that and making sure they have a good grasp on, it's called building science, this understanding of um, how to correctly build a building assembly so that um, so that the building stays healthy mm. and safe yeah. um, and durable. 
Yeah. So I think it, it really is about auditioning people. We forget that we have the right to audition people until we feel like we've got someone yeah. who is completely sharing our vision, whether it's our health, whether it's our home. Our home is our health as well, of course. Uh, but, yeah, we often forget that we have the right to audition people, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I just – I actually did a, just a live um, video on that today. Um, oh, talking you? about. Yeah, just questions to ask a your potential contractor. And this was one of the questions is really making sure that they understand water um, migrating into walls and what happens um, when it's in there and what they do to make sure it can get out. Uh, so, yeah, so um, always interview people before you work with them and just having that um, basic knowledge, just knowing that it exists and then letting the professionals tell you if they really understand it or not is um is very important yeah super important and uh and so then when it comes to air tightness because this is another sort of point of contention i know a lot of building biologists are really concerned with uh some of the six seven star rated office buildings that are being built where employees are getting sick within a year uh because they're almost like in a moisture bubble and the, the human humidity that's created on the inside is, um, is allowing for that dew point to be reached that you were talking about, as well as dirty air conditioning not being serviced frequently enough and then that mould not being able to get out because they're in this super energy efficient airtight bubble. Can we achieve energy efficiency while also creating a breathable home? Yes. Uh, well, uh, yes, definitely. So we always, we're, we're aiming for a completely airtight house. Mm. We want, as, as bad as it may sound, we want to be living in a sealed box. Yeah. Um, because if we don't, if we have, um, you know, if air is leaking in through the cracks around our windows or doors or the foundation or coming in through the chimney, if you have a chimney, then we're allowing, um, not only is it energy inefficient, but we're allowing air to be coming in in places that we don't want it to be coming through. We don't want air coming into our house through our chimney or through cracks in the foundation. Mm. So we want to control where that air is coming in. Great. And by doing that and to, in order to do that, so we have to have a totally air sealed home, Mm -hmm. um, which means you're, you're sealing around windows, doors, all penetrations, um, you know, any dryer vents, anything that's going to the outside, everything is sealed up really tight. And then you introduce mechanical ventilation. And in a home, this is, you know, adding, just doing the mechanical ventilation is what's going to create uh, your healthy air quality. So you're bringing in fresh air controlled, you know where it's coming from, um, and you are expelling the stale indoor indoor air. Uh, so that's really, that's, that's the key is making sure you have mechanical ventilation and that it's installed properly. And, um, by a mechanical installer or even a mechanical engineer, if you want to get one involved that truly understands how to make your house healthy in an airtight space. And that, um, so getting the right mechanical installer is, is super important. Um, 
in a more humid climate, you also, because of that moisture that you're bringing in, you might also want to have a dehumidification system. Mm, and that absolutely. could be part of the problem. Yeah. So can you, yeah, wa- it, can you literally build that into the home itself, like uh, through air yeah. vents and things? Yeah. 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 So you can have a built in um, freestanding, whatever, uh, either approach works, but uh yeah, so if you're in a constantly humid climate, then having a dehumidification system in a hot and humid climate, it's very impo- important. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure your house is at uh, a relative humidity of around 50% mm-hmm. or less. So I think 30 to 50% is the range to um, make sure you're not having um, mold growth yeah. or creating a, a condition where mold can grow. So that's about the range you're looking for, and you can check that. You can get a a meter that tests that and then you can take appropriate yeah steps. I think having a hydrometer is a really great little <laughs> little gadget for us all to have so that we can be monitoring that and if we're in a rental property um and the kind of tweaks we're making to our living spaces have to be within the limits of our control in that situation um do you recommend just getting a couple of dehumidifiers for the average home that seems to coast above 50 regularly yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, we do that in the summer here because it's we have such a limited amount of time because uh, I live in a cold climate, but mm. the summers are warm and humid, but it's for like two months. <laughs> so yeah. it wouldn't make sense to do a whole house dehumidification system, but we just have one, um, especially in our basement and then a cup and, uh, you know, if we need it in the main living space, we can put one there too. So yes, that is a perfect option for uh, living in a rental when you or even in a house when you can't change anything yet, um, mm. having a having Yeah, a portable, that's so right? true, isn't it? Some people are still saving for their renovation, so, you know, it's going to be a few years, and that's something you could do from now. Whereabouts are you in the States? I'm in New Hampshire, so on oh, the East yeah, Coast. Oh, yeah, of course. That's right. I remember um, reading it, but I had forgotten. And so, yeah, for you guys on the East Coast, you have um, humidity issues in the summer as well, and so sort of trapped from the coastline too so yeah absolutely um and uh so what we'll do is i would love to provide people with a couple of um air specialists mechanical engineers if you like uh for us uk and australia have you got us covered for the usk can you give us a couple of people that you love oh um you don't have to name them here but we'll just check in the show notes for everybody i think it'd be really powerful for people to think (laughs) so many people are working on projects right now and if they could bring one of these people in then it would really significantly change things so uh, i I know i'm going to be recommending one to my parents who are working on a renovation plan at the moment which is really exciting for our family for their home um so yeah we want to get it right Yes, um, for sure. Yeah. And so, okay, so we're talking about airtight, we're talking about watertight. And then let's go a little bit more granular into a couple of the, uh, the uh, material details. Flooring. This is something that uh, <laughs> I could use a pun here and say it floors many of us. Um, but I won't <laughs> because my, my husband's the one responsible for the dad jokes in our outfit. <laughs> So um, this confuses a lot of people, right? So we want breathability and you would think that that would mean you want a lot of kind of space in between things for air to move freely. But 
But we also want soundproofing, especially if we live in an apartment or a multi-storey home uh, where we have the consideration of others. You know, if you're walking upstairs and and that wakes up someone downstairs, we ideally don't want that. Um, How do we... Is felt under floorboards a good idea or not a good idea in terms of encouraging things like mold growth or dust mite um, harboring and things like that over time? Uh, well, what we want to be careful of is uh, so, especially if you are in, um, if this is on like a second floor or above where the floor below you has drywall on the ceiling. Okay. That drywall can, um, with the paint on it, can actually be its own vapor barrier. So we want to be careful, again, that we're not creating that double vapor barrier and um, a vapor retarder and, and um, keeping the mold within the floor system or keep, sorry, keeping the moisture within the floor system. Um, but with uh, felt, I mean, I don't typically recommend felt. I think there are better options out there for flooring underlayment that helps with sound. Such um, as? So actually, let me pull up one, one that I absolutely love, um, is cork. Ah, <laughs> so nice. Cor- yeah. Cork is, I just, I think it is such an awesome material. It can be insulation. It can be a sound absorption. I mean, it's fantastic. So in the case of an underlayment of your flooring, it is great for sound absorption. So that really helps if you're trying to minimize sound from one floor to the next. It's also naturally antimicrobial. So again, you don't have to worry about mold growing on that underlayment itself. Um, so true. I, the cork yoga mat was one of the few things I didn't have to throw out of my personal belongings oh, yeah. when we moved. There was, it just checked out fine. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, yes. So cork is a fantastic material. Now, um, if you're putting this on the ground floor and it's on like a slab, so you have concrete below it, you no matter what, you always want to have make sure you're putting a vapor barrier between your floor, um, your your concrete floor, and anything that's going above. So that's when you want to make sure you have a vapor barrier. Otherwise, uh, cork would be good. There's also another product. It's called Quiet Walk. It's available in the U.S. I don't know. Uh, its availability in um, in Australia, but there might be other uh, other similar products where it's a so it's zero VOC. It's a um, underlayment, so it has sound barrier uh, and vapor barrier, and no, it doesn't have any anti added antimicrobials, yeah. <laughs> which uh, is good for for your health. Um, but that's a good exa- a good option if you do need to have some a vapor barrier mm-hmm. there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I did want to say though if you if you if it's more about making sure you have um, that sound, so you're looking for something to to separate the sound between floors. Another good option on top of choosing a absorb absorb underlayment you can also consider adding resilient channels to the ceiling of um, the floor below you Um, and these uh, they're metal channels that uh, that basically they're they're two pieces that come together and they um, or they separate the sound transmission from the floor uh, to the 
to the room below you. So this is pretty common. You'll see this in apartment, uh, new apartment buildings, probably, you know, older, any older apartment buildings, they weren't built with these. But resilient channels are fantastic for, for breaking up that sound between, between two levels. It's right. a, and does that live in the expensive. ceiling? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it gets, it attaches to the ceiling, um, to the, to the floor joists yeah, of yeah. the floor above. And then, and then you put your drywall, you attach your drywall to that. So it just helps break up the sound. It works well. Then you're not worrying about any sort of, um, you know, you're not creating a membrane. So you're not worrying about, um, uh, you know, having moisture buildup. Mm, yeah. So important. And, um, the, I think, uh, okay, so that's flooring. I feel like we've got a pretty good handle on that now. Um, In terms of the actual floorboards themselves, uh, are you uh, particularly passionate about any particular option there for the health of people and planet? Uh, Yeah, for sure. So I love, um, I will always recommend solid wood flooring. Mm -hmm. So with as, as we know, the flooring is one of the biggest surface areas of our house, so we don't want it to be off-gassing. Yeah. Um, and so everything that I'm about to mention is that this is where I'm talking about in a healthy home, you're going to be spending a little bit more on finishes. So all these products that I'll be mentioning are going to be a little bit more expensive than, say, a carpet or a vinyl, but we want to avoid those two for sure. So in a healthy home, I would say solid wood um, solid hardwood flooring, uh, avoid engineered and laminated because they most likely will be made with a, a formaldehyde um, binder. Mm-hmm. So we don't want that. So solid hardwood. Another really great option is linoleum. And they are, you can get them in tiles or sheets. They, it's a natural material. So whenever I say linoleum, I know people are imagining like a 1950s kitchen. Where yeah, the, the uh, like it looks up. a lot like vinyl as well. So I, I yeah. would have assumed they were the same thing, but they're not. No, not at all. And linoleum is really awesome. So it's it's a completely natural product. It's made of linseed oil and other natural materials. And it's naturally antimicrobial and um, anti-static, I believe. So... So it's uh, really easy to clean the floor. It will not grow mold. It's warm underfoot because it is a natural material. It has a cork backing to it. Uh, If you get it in the squares, you can install it yourself. It's super easy. It clicks together. So it's a really cool product. It is just as expensive as hardwood, possibly more sometimes. So, um, and it looks really cool. So like it can come in all sorts of colors. It can also come in, um, you know, they try making some looking like wood a little bit. Uh, so there's plenty of options. You can, you can do like a, a black and white hash pattern if you want to, or, or what make a solid, whatever you want to do. So it just allows for, if you want to be creative about your flooring, especially in a kid's room or something like that, that's a, that's a fun option. And it, for the health of it in a kid's room, when they're playing on the floor, it is a really, uh, um, great choice for that. Yeah, great. So, yeah. And then the other one I would say you could actually just do a, a cork floor and that's also a fantastic natural, uh, healthy material. Mm. And what about so. brushed cement? 
Mm, yeah. So cement's fine. Concrete's fine. Um, the sealant is what you want to be careful of. So any pigments that are added to it, you want to make sure you're choosing non-toxic pigments, non-toxic sealants, because you do need to seal your concrete floor. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So it's more about once concrete seals, it's an inert product. It's not going to off gas. Um, it's mostly made of of national materials anyways, there's really nothing in it that is harmful. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's really just being considered about what you're sealing it with. And that's with anything. I mean, if you have to be sealing a hardwood floor, then you need to make sure you're picking non-toxic, um, sealants as well. Yeah. And can we go to the cradle to cradle website to look at granular things like that, or is it more for building materials? Uh, they should have, yeah, I think they have sealants on there and, um, yes, they have all types. Um, I will recommend the brand I always, I like to go to is called AFM Safe Coat. Mm -hmm. And again, I know they're available here in the U S I don't know what their availability is broad, but they, they are just a fantastic non-toxic, um, resource for, for tons of, um, sealants and paints and really any liquid product that goes on or outside your house, even asphalt sealants, um, they make a non-toxic, third-party tested, um, you know, asthma allergy certified product. So it's a really, they're a great um, company to look for awesome. as long as they can get them over there. But uh yeah, I'm sure. it's it's 2019. I'm pretty sure it's right. available <laughs> worldwide if we really want yeah. it bad enough. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about windows now before we finish up because I know a lot of people have trouble choosing uh, how they um, how they uh, frame their windows in terms of that airtight uh, sort of goal that we have. And, uh, and whether we double glaze, triple glaze, uh, single glaze, you know, whatever. So what are some of the key considerations for our healthy home in terms of windows? I think uh, for the most part, it's making sure that they are, <clears throat> the installation is done well. So whether you do, I would always recommend at least doing a double pane, mm -hmm. um, not single. Uh, but between double and triple, there's not going to be any difference uh, that I'm aware of between... Um, you know, the, the window itself allowing more moisture in and out. So it's really about the installation and making sure that the windows are sealed properly around the frame so that they're uh, not leaking air yeah. um, through it. And also in, in flash properly so that water is not getting into your house through your window. That is... That's, you know, one of the biggest ways water gets into your walls. So that installation of the window, making sure it's flashed properly and sealed properly is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so we kind of talked a little bit about filtration of indoor air and, and getting a good um, technician in to help us with that. Are there any particular systems that you have names for um, that we can that we can ask about, work with, see if they're available near us? Uh, for man mechanical ventilation or yeah, for yeah, exactly yeah oh boy um, not off the top of my head but I can definitely get you some that information oh that would be amazing yeah I okay. think um, you know if if you can have a name of something I think we've got H 
VAC or HRV systems. I think that might be what it is. Oh, that yes. kind of stuff. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that, yeah. yes. Mm. All right. Sorry. So yes, you have, um, <laughs> for mechanical ventilation, I was thinking like specific and oh, okay. supply. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, so you want to, um, there's a couple different ways you can do it. You want to have what's called a balanced system. So when you are, um, so any air, like you always want to be exhausting air from your house to get the stale air out. But at the same time, you need to make sure fresh air is coming in. So you want to have an exhaust and you want to have a supply that you're, you know, so you're controlling both of those things, bad air, stale air is going out, fresh air is coming in, you know where it's coming from. Um, so those are two different um, items that you could place in your house and exhaust and then supply somewhere else. Uh, it, which is a cheaper option of getting a balanced ventilation system. Then to get um, a really quality mechanical ventilation system, you can go for an HRV or ERV. Those are heat recovery ventilator or energy recovery ventilator. And whether it's heat or energy is just dependent on the climate. And that's what a mechanical um, installer will be able to tell you which one to use, but, um, yeah, those are, those are what you really want to be putting in your healthy home. If, if it's within your budget and they just, they're a balance system. So you, you know, that as your stale air is going out, fresh air is coming in. And what's really cool because they are a heat recovery ventilator as say, you know, you have, um, cold air, um, condition, you know, air conditioned, cold air, leaving your house and then you have hot air from the outside coming in as they they pass each other by right when they enter the you know right at the edge of your home and that um the hot air is um takes wait which way does it go the cold air <laughs> takes the heat out yep. of the hot air so it's helping to cool the air so it's it's helping to save you energy basically so you're not trying to your system isn't also trying to cool you know 100 degree air it's been tempered a little bit by the cold air that you've been exhausting so mm. uh, they're a little bit more expensive up front but they will save you money in your energy bills down the road so they are fantastic system and i would recommend everybody use that for their homes yeah. if possible and and so are we talking about like tens of thousands or are we talking about five grand like what kind of uh, a ballpark. couple thousand. Wow. It's, I mean, so just a couple of like, so this is the thing, right? Starting the, the thing that <laughs> Amelia has been kind of alluding to and in some parts that you've been alluding to, like when it does start to cost a little bit more, we have to really ask ourselves the real question, are we building for the long run of a home we absolutely love and feel proud of every decision we made? Or are we just getting something new because our culture has taught us we want it new now? You know, mm. like why not save for an extra year or two and really get what we actually want in our hearts? Seems to make yeah. sense. Yeah, that is a great point. Um, yes, for sure. And it is it is so worth it <laughs> mm. to do it right and do it right the first time. And if it takes an extra year or two, just like you said, then it, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I did, I was going to mention in the budget, which um, when we were talking about budget and all that, um, the other strategy, <laughs> one of these things that are costing a little bit more, the other great way 
to help reduce the cost of your overall house is just make a little bit smaller house because it's amazing what a difference you know building and I'm going, I'm not good with meters so yeah no, that's <laughs> you know okay. building a 3,000 square foot house between a 2,500 square foot house I mean there's a big savings in that that making your house smaller just by 500 square feet mm. and that's still a big house that you're living in so you know so if you need to make your floor plan a little bit smaller to get those better items then that's also a possibility to to get towards where you want such a good point especially for people building from scratch or adding rooms as extensions yeah sure amazing. yeah mm. right yeah Cool. Wow. We have talked about a lot of things there. Uh, Very, very helpful. Kate, can you talk me through the fact that you have two websites just so people don't get confused when they hit the show notes? Of course. Yes. So Balanced Architecture is my local custom design business. So if you happen to be in New Hampshire and you're looking for a a residential healthy home architect, uh, that you will find me at Balanced Architecture. Uh, My other website, which is more of my healthy home consulting business to help everybody um, across the globe, basically, is balancedhomebalancedlife.com. And there you'll find just a ton of resources uh, on how to start creating your healthy home, tips on like where to even begin the process, tips on what's the best insulation to be choosing, everything from, you know, that you need to, to get going on your on your home, that's where you will find it, balancedhomebalancedlife.com. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. And you've got a little course coming up, don't you? I do. So, yes, yeah, so I'm really, really excited about this. It's uh, And this was sheer design. chance, by the way. Like, it just, I saw it on the website and then I was like, we should mention this because this is going to be helpful. Yes, thank you. Um, so, it's called Design for Wellness. And uh, it is a course. Um, it's a, So, it's an online course and self-directed. It's, all, it's for homeowners that are looking to renovate or build a new home. And it's really going to guide them through room by room how they can create their healthy home. So, there's tons of information on there um, that they can, they can absorb and then if they're working with an architect, they can take that information to their architect so they're really armed with um, what the information they need to make sure the the architect knows what to design in or the builder knows what to design in. So it's really going to be a helpful course for uh, anybody that's renovating or building a new home and they want to make sure it includes healthy home aspects. Um, so that's there, and I have. There's two different versions. You can there's the DIY version, and I also have a um, a VIP version where you can work with me um, directly through Facebook, our private Facebook group, and I will just always be there guiding you along the way to create um, to make sure that your house is going in the right direction and you are really building that healthy home. Yeah. So that's really fun for me. Um, and I am launching it, uh, I think, April, I want to say April 11th. So it's not available quite yet, but it will be available very soon. So Fantastic. Um, and do you run that yeah. a couple of times a year? Yes. Fantastic. So, yeah. So I will, um, it'll be in April and I'm not sure, it'll probably be again in the fall when um, people start getting more, thinking about construction again and design. So yeah. uh, we have the spring and the fall round. Awesome. 
Thank you so much, Kate, for sharing your uh, your knowledge with the Lotox community. I think between Amelia and you, we are very well placed to tackle our renovation and build projects with more confidence. Um, as a long-term renter, this is so not an expertise of mine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we have some plans once um, our little man finishes school to potentially move to the country and build an our ultimate green home, which is about sort of nine years away now only. So, you know, I think it, we're all kind of thinking about these things in our life and it's really amazing when we get to tap into the resources that you guys have created to help us feel really confident in the process. So I want to say thank you for joining me today and, uh, and don't forget everybody to head to the show notes for everything that uh, Amelia and Kate have shared today. We've got a ton of resources for you to continue learning. Oh, well, thank you so much, Alex, for having me. It was really a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. <laughs>